0: Well, thank you, Sarah, and it's great to join you this morning, and I can see there are a number of familiar people that are joining, Sarah, which is great. I thought in starting, um, this question of curiosity in the workplace and learning is really something that uh, many organisations grapple with, and uh, lots of organisations try to somehow incorporate it into their work practices and into their management system. If you think about it, the primary focus is not just about compliance, but it's about understanding work, and it's about improving performance. And so that's the angle that I'd like to look this morning at these two topics of curiosity and uh, learning about everyday work. So I thought it might be helpful. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you, Barry. Good to uh, say good morning as well. Can I just get you in the chat function, so just let me know whether at the moment you are involved personally in some sort of workplace practice that goes out and observes work. It might be a task observation. It could be a behavioural observation. It might be a safety conversation or a gamble walk or another lean practice. So in the chat function, just let me know uh, if you're involved in some sort of structured activity that happens on a regular or semi-regular basis where you go out and do those. And uh, thank you. Christian says all of those, which is fantastic. Uh, Brent is involved in Gemba. Quarterly workplace inspections. Good. Uh, Some are saying, yes, that's what I normally would be doing, but in the uh, lockdown, that's actually difficult to do. Okay, so you can see here we've got quite a consensus that it's part of the management system. Uh, For some, it's a daily or a a weekly practice. Others find themselves with some sort of um, probably target for each month. Uh, Others are involved in a structured uh, quarterly uh, sort of process. So what I'd like to do today is look at two things. First, I'd like to look at a little bit of the research around curiosity and and how can organisations... Uh, build greater capacity for curiosity. And then I'd like to look at this new collective noun called work interactions and uh, have a look at what the research is saying. And uh, we've done some initial research looking at uh, a variety of journal articles, both here and overseas, and to see what we can learn. And I'm going to share that with you this morning. But also you'll have access Uh, after this presentation to look at a paper that summarises some of those uh, findings. As well, there'll be an invitation to participate uh, in an experiment that's currently underway, and I'll tell you more about that. Uh, And then finally, in the paper that we'll share, we've actually gone out and spoken to a number of people uh, across the globe uh, who are really leading the way when it comes to this work interaction. And we've tried to see what we could learn uh, from them. So Sam from my team is now going to share a link with you. uh, And uh, basically, we'd like you to uh, open this link. It's a Google form. It's totally anonymous. And uh, there are three questions that I'm really interested in. So I found out personally uh, that you're involved uh, in some form of a work interaction. What I'd like to do is to find out Uh, How many in your organisation? And it's a rough guesstimate, a rough guesstimate. If you looked at your organisation, how many people are involved on some sort of basis in a work interaction? And uh, I'm describing that as behavioural observation, task observation, gemba walk, safety conversation, uh, a work discovery, um, um, all sorts of things that fit into that category. The second question is then, uh, how much time on average does a person then spend a month on those activities? So you might say, look, we've got you know, 20 people, and I think on average they might spend uh, two hours uh, a month or four hours a month averaging it out. And then finally, uh, what's the return on investment? And you'll find a question there. So if you could please fill that out. As I said, it's uh, it's totally anonymous, the survey. But I'm really interested, and we will have a look at the results uh, when we circle back and we look at what the research is telling us uh, around work uh, interactions. So I mentioned this idea of curiosity. It's really interesting. The Harvard Business Review um, did um, an expose or a spotlight on uh, curiosity in the workplace. It's well worth having a look at. It's the September to October edition, uh, 2018. And uh, one of the really interesting articles was written by a person by the name of Francesca Gino. Uh, She's a researcher at Harvard and has spent nearly all her career really looking at very closely this question of curiosity in the workplace. Um, What actually helps and hinders curiosity? Uh, What's the connection between curiosity and performance? So uh, it's well worth grabbing uh, a copy. Uh, of the Harvard Business Review, you can do that online. And uh, look at September to October, and uh, you'd be able to read some of the articles there. I'm going to play just a brief part of a video that really sort of sets the scene, I think very helpfully, uh, for why curiosity is so important for organizations, and in particular, uh, its relationship back to workplace interactions and learning
1: a key ingredient to learning, creativity, and innovation. But as we grow older, our attitude toward curiosity changes. If you look at the data, in fact, our curiosity peaks between ages four and five, then declines steadily from there. It's not just getting older that kills curiosity. I've taught for over two decades at Harvard Business School, researching how people can have more productive, creative, And fulfilling lives. In one project on curiosity in my work as a researcher, I've collected data from hundreds of employees starting new jobs. Initially, their curiosity was high, but when I went back to them eight, nine months later, I found that curiosity had dropped by at least 20% across the board, no matter what industry they were in, no matter what job they had. This is not because we don't recognize the value of curiosity. To the contrary, when I surveyed over 3,000 employees from a wide range of firms and industry, I found that 92% of them credited curious people with bringing new ideas into teams and organizations and viewed curiosity as a catalyst for job satisfaction, motivation, and high performance. Curiosity, my research shows, leads to a wider range of benefits, fewer decision making errors, lower group conflict, more open communication, better team performance, more diverse networks. Yet, as I found in the same survey, only about 24% reported feeling curious in their jobs on a regular basis. And about 70% said they faced barriers to asking more questions at work. We say we treasure inquisitive minds as parents, as colleagues, as leaders, as friends. But the truth is, we often end up stifling curiosity rather than encouraging it. And not promoting curiosity comes with great cost.
0: Isn't it interesting? Uh, We highly value curiosity, yet somehow unintentionally, uh, we end up Uh, stifling that curiosity. And uh, I think that's a fascinating uh, observation. So I'm really interested. uh, uh, Sam is going to share another link with you. Uh, Again, it's an anonymous survey. Uh, How would you define curiosity? So I'm going to get you to um, have a think for a moment. In no more than sort of 10 to 20 words at the most, uh, how would you define what curiosity is about? Uh, What are the important ingredients? Uh, What does it look like? So I'll give you a moment to define that. And then, Sam, we'll come back in a moment and uh, then have a look and see what people have shared with us in terms of their thinking about this idea of curiosity. So while you're filling in that survey, I thought it's really interesting just to recap uh, what Francesca said. Uh, It's fascinating that you look at people coming into an organisation. She mentioned out of her research that basically 92% um, appreciate the importance of uh, a person coming in and bringing this curiosity, which we'll define in a moment. And uh, what she saw was over a 12-month time period was at least a 20% decrease in people's level of curiosity. And you you need to ask, you know, so what what gave rise to that? And and how could that, in a sense, be uh, lessened or prevented? The second thing I think which is really interesting is that in this study, they looked at over 3,000 people uh, across uh, 16 different organisations and different industry sectors. And they found a very uh, uh, clear pattern unfold that um, people were self-reporting only one in four actually felt they were curious in their job. And it's really interesting. This very much aligns with the Gallup survey and some of the findings there uh, regarding um, the level of engagement in an organisation. And I think curiosity and engagement are two very related measures. And then you can see uh, quite staggering um, 70%, so more than two in three said they, they, they faced some sort of barrier uh, to asking questions at work. And if you think about it, uh, curiosity in many ways uh, is driven by this ability to engage in a conversation, uh, to borrow from Amy Edmondson, there's a level of psychological safety, uh, a place where I can both ask questions and uh, also in the space of trust, uh, share things Uh, that might or might not be perceived as welcomed or unwelcomed uh, news. So if we move on and think about that then, so how does the uh, research then define curiosity? I think that's really useful. And uh, just recently we ran a journal club, which we do uh, every few weeks at Art of Work, and uh, we actually looked at this idea of curiosity. So there's been a fair bit of... uh, looking and reading of the research. And you can see here that there are two different ways the research has tended to define what curiosity is. Uh, It's either, in a sense, people feel uncomfortable. Um, They're exposed to something which is unexpected or is not easily understood. And then that drives them to go out and seek new knowledge. In other words, it's a bit like curiosity is about sort of closing a gap. There's something that doesn't seem right, or I can't see to make sense, and so I then go out and I sort of search uh, for that information. Really interesting. The other way of thinking about curiosity is where there's a sense there's an um, there's a there's an absence of stimulus. Uh, it could almost say that people feel, to a degree, uh, a little bit bored, and so. Curiosity is driven then by this sort of going out and uh, seeking out information. So part can be, in the first instance, thinking about curiosity is it's a drive theory, or the other way of thinking about it, it's a way of getting an optimal level of arousal. Uh, Daniel Berlin is one of the probably the leading experts uh, in this whole curiosity space and has been writing since the 1950s. Uh, in terms of research, and I I really like the definition that Daniel uh, has proposed. It's a desire for new information, which is aroused by novel, complex or ambiguous stimuli and motivates exploratory behaviour. So think about that. How often are we in the workplace inviting people when there's something that's sort of novel, which means different? complex, can't be easily explained, it's a bit ambiguous, it's unclear, uh, that we actually then welcome into that space, uh, a degree of curiosity, because he's saying that's the primary motivator for then driving curiosity. You could almost say it's a bit like uncertainty. Or the other way is really about uh, where there's an absence of being stimulated, then curiosity, uh, people try to uh, then engage because they're trying to be stimulated, or to be uh, participatory in what's happening uh, in the organization. It's really interesting, um, and we'll come back to your uh, definitions, but uh, Sam has actually created a word cloud and I'll get you, Sam, to put that a little bit further down the presentation in a moment. But um, these are the things that you've called out in the word cloud. It's about learning. It's about asking questions. It's about being open. Uh, it's about seeking understanding, and it's about really honesty. I think that's really interesting when you think about what you've just shared with us as to how you would define what curiosity is about. So there's probably two big ideas or thinking uh, about curiosity from the research, a- and it really is probably fairly evident. There's been research that's looked at you know, general desire for knowledge. So it's a, it's a broad sort of um, questioning. Uh, and then there's specific curiosity, which is obviously, as the title suggests, knowledge about something which is more unique. And uh, I thought there's some really helpful call outs uh, in regard to curiosity. Uh, one is that uh, it's, there's actually a realization, <laughs> which I think is really useful. If you want to think about a curious person, they realize actually the more they know, there is the more to actually learn. The more they know, there is the more to learn. So really interesting, thinking about your work interactions as a means of curiosity, is that an ingredient? Or do we sort of say, well, I've learnt what I need to learn, that's sufficient, or is it curiosity that's then driving further learning? I think the other thing that's really helpful from the research that's called out, it's something that has to be fostered and grown. In other words, we, we have to help not just ourselves, our team members to actually intentionally grow and facilitate curiosity. And then I thought the last thing that's really interesting comes very much out of Edgar uh, Shine's sort of work. It's actually a posture of humility. So if one is really curious, you come with an open mind, which means that I, I try to reduce my level of bias and reliance on my expertise. And in that space, then I'm much more likely to do two things. I'm much more likely to open the conversation up with interesting questions that want to explore from the perspective of the person or the team members or the team doing the work. And the second thing I think is really important, if I'm curious, I'll recognize that there are multiple perspectives to understanding uh, a way in which you could do a task or complete a process. Um, that's just there just to see how there's been an evolution over time of thinking. And I've mentioned about Daniel. And as I said, he, still the writings are quite um, keen. And you can see uh, how the evolution of thinking uh, has evolved into seeing, you know, Edward Dechy was very much around, it's an intrinsic motivation. It's something that motivates us internally. Uh, curiosity. Uh, G- George Lowenstein, talked much more about it's an information gap. So when there's a gap somewhere, that's what creates the conditions for curiosity. Uh, Marvin Zuckerman talks about, it's almost like this willingness to take risks. So part of curiosity is the willingness to experiment. It's the willingness to try things. And then Brett Arena, uh, I think is really helpful. Uh, It's about uh, a broader interest in what people think feel and behave so really broadening it out to the idea of social curiosity uh, that curiosity uh, is not just about knowing a set of facts or closing uh, an information gap it's about really having an interest in how the other person thinks feels and behaves and I think that's a really helpful way of sort of setting up the scene for thinking about curiosity The other thing that's probably helpful is you can divide curiosity up into different domains or groupings. And so the research has grouped it and uh, you will um, certainly if you do any reading, you'll find that there are four different types of groups. So some people think about curiosity, just as I was talking about in terms of Brett Renner, um, um, in terms of social curiosity. Uh, Lippmann and Piso talk about interpersonal. So it's really about wanting to gain information between people is what curiosity is about. Um, Muscle has done some really interesting work, which I'm going to come back to about, you know, can you actually measure uh, one's curiosity? And uh, if you're thinking about the personality traits, the big five theory, you'll see a lot of alignment between this and curiosity. And then there's a, a view around entrepreneurial curiosity, uh, in other words, to not only just improve how to do new tasks, but how to actually improve business. And you can see here suddenly what we just covered in a very short moment of thinking about what is curiosity and the way the, uh, I suppose, the thinking of curiosity has evolved. We, we suddenly go, you know what? This is essential to conducting an effective work interaction. Remembering I'm saying that's the new collective noun for describing a task or a behavioural observation, a safety conversation, or a Gemba walk. So can you measure it? And uh, that's a really interesting argument. So there's a five dimensions model. And uh, if you have a look at the Harvard Business Review, the September to October 2018, you'll find a really interesting article there after Francesca's that talks about this model. So you can see that it measures five things. And for your benefit, uh, there are the questions. So if you think, well, how do you measure social curiosity? Well, you can see there, there are the five questions that get asked. So um, I will uh, make sure that you get hold of this. This is very useful to have a look at. And uh, you might start to think, well, if curiosity is so important to learning, And it really should be central to an effective work interaction, not just my curiosity as the person who's engaging with a team member or team, but those also in the team itself. I want you to think about this dual focus. It's not just about building your curiosity, it's about building the curiosity capacity or, or capability in a team. And so, there you go, straight away. There are some really interesting questions you could explore and you could use this tool. Uh, The other one is called the Multidimensional Workforce Curiosity Scale. And uh, in a moment, we're gonna share a link. And you can see again, this one is uh, further work on from the five dimension model. This is a refinement. And you can see here, they've developed this into four areas of inquiry. So joyous exploration, deprivation sensitivity, stress tolerance, and openness to people's ideas. And you can see here that's even better, because it's only 16 questions you could go and ask. And you might be thinking, well, that's great. But how do I actually go and do it? Well, Merck, a pharmaceutical company has been very generous. They've been working with one of the university research areas that's developed this, and they've made it publicly available. So if you scan that QR code, uh, that will actually take you Uh, to the particular tool. And you can share this with your team and uh, get your team to actually do the curiosity scale. It gives each person their own individual report. And then you might invite people in a team meeting to firstly share what they discovered through that process. And secondly, what is their profile when it comes to curiosity? It'd be a really helpful thing to explore. So I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, As I said, it's de-identified. It's a confidential survey. It doesn't ask for your name or anything that identifies you or your team members. Um, And it is the dimensional model tool that you can uh, use. So I want to finish this section just by talking about, well, then, what might be the things that we've found that uh, actually block curiosity? Or what is it that diminishes curiosity? What lessens it? And uh, this is from the research uh, that we've found, and we've actually looked uh, more broadly than just Francesca's work. And uh, here are the things that uh, we would want to actually proactively avoid. So so often there's a a view that says, well, you know, uh, don't actually foster too much curiosity because it might lead to chaos and a costly mistake. So you could probably rephrase this as a risk aversion. So we we don't engage in curiosity because we're risk adverse, because we think it might lead to some form of error or incurred cost. The other thing is often it's a mindset. We think if we start to foster curiosity, uh, it somehow might slow down or constrain decision making. We'll we'll never get a decision made if we keep asking these open-ended curious questions. Uh, Others would say, well, it creates inefficiencies. Uh, Some would say we don't need to really be curious because what we should be doing is standardizing work practices. Uh, We should find somehow the mythical optimal process and then require everyone to abide by that process or procedure. And so therefore, it diminishes, obviously, then the need to be curious. Um, For others, it's really a a wrestle with their leadership. Uh, If you tend to take A sort of Taylorism sort of view of scientific management, which then leads to a leadership practice that tends to be command and control or direct and tell. Uh, I'm the leader. Uh, I've been uh, promoted to this place because of my expertise. I know best. Uh, You need just to follow um, what is deemed, in inverted commas, reasonable instruction, and then we will have optimal performance. So, clearly, if that is the mindset of leadership, well, then that really is quite a barrier to curiosity. Uh, The other thing is often uh, much more subtle. We don't realise it, but often our bias of our subject matter expertise uh, diminishes the need for or the perceived need for or our effectiveness, particularly when it comes to our work interactions to be curious. And obviously, to be curious, you actually have to create some space to think and you need to be creative. So often... We can tick all the boxes for saying curiosity is very important, but we actually don't give people any time. You think about Google. Google actually uh, invites people to commit a certain percentage of their work time each month to go and explore and work on something that interests them. That really is a great example of allocating creative thinking time. And then the last thing, which really taps back to where I started earlier on in terms of psychological safety, Often the thing that diminishes uh, curiosity is because I think somehow I'll be ostracised, um, I'll be punished, I'll be publicly embarrassed or even worse, humiliated. So it's much easier to take the safe road, uh, offer nothing and say nothing and ask nothing. So the other thing is, um, uh, how could you then uh, contribute uh, curiosity in a way that it grows performance and you can see there, there are a number of things that if you do this, the research is very clear. Um, uh, you might have different definitions and ways of measuring curiosity, but there is a real uniformity uh, in the literature about how does it actually improve performance. And uh, you can see there everything from reducing error-making in decisions, uh, obviously uh, in improving uh, group cohesion, team effectiveness, uh, reducing uh, Uh, sort of disagreements. It builds ownership. Uh, It creates greater trust, uh, not only within but between teams. Uh, It builds diverse networks. It obviously is a a precondition, the research suggests, for innovation. And uh, if I go back to ownership, uh, ownership is often driven uh, when we actually foster uh, local solutions. And obviously, if you're really curious, and I go back to that um, Thing about when something is novel or complex. And maybe if we think about um, uh, uh, Week's work around detecting early warning signals and Patrick Hudson, curiosity actually helps us pick up on those early warning signals where there is this very early stages of a drift to failure. The last thing I thought, I just want to make a point is often we have a paradox. And I think Gary Hamill's definition of a paradox. If you're looking for a great read at the moment, his latest book on humanocracy is absolutely brilliant. But he talks about the idea of a paradox. And it's really interesting. Uh, Both uh, have truth, but put side by side would appear to be contradictory. And he goes on to say irreconcilable. And uh, So I think often when we are working in this space of curiosity and working direction, I think it's just really helpful to say, often we are working in the space of a paradox where we're saying on the one hand, you know, leaders should give direction, uh, should help spell out the roadmap, talk about what are the priorities, um, you know, set expectations, hold people accountable. All of that is true. And on the other side, We should be looking for local solutions, inviting people to contribute, um, trying to promote uh, autonomy uh, and ownership of decision making. So, I just wanted to call that out because some of you might be thinking, well, hang on for a sec. Um, That's all very fine, but still, you know, there is a management system and there are a set of expectations and there is a clear role for a leader. So, I think in many ways, as we engage then in workplace interactions, uh, we are engaging. Uh, very much to a degree, uh, in some form of a paradox. And we just need to, to some extent, uh, accept that as a starting point. Well, i just want to move on now to a very exciting practical application of curiosity. Uh, At the moment, we're running a work interaction challenge, which I really would like to share with you. And you'll see there another QR code. And uh, we're inviting people to come and join us. It's the conducting of an experiment. And and very simply, what we're doing is we are um, looking um, at uh, two forms uh, of uh, a work interaction. And I won't say much more because it's an experiment, but what's happening is uh, we're getting a group of people, already people have started across Australia, and they're using a particular work interaction approach. And uh, what we're looking at, which is really important, is we're looking at two things in this experiment is out of work interactions, how might it improve learning? And then what benefit might be derived? And you can probably already see that if you think about learning, then the underpinning of learning uh, is this capacity, not only for a leader or someone who's facilitating a work interaction, but also it is for those who are participating, can be curious. So what we're doing is we're looking at two different ways of conducting a work interaction. And then what we're doing is we're going to explore and see what happens in terms of learning and benefit. So I'll just show you where we're up to at the moment. Um, We uh, have done the literature review, and I'm going to share right at the end another QR code where you'll be able to get the uh, first paper that's been written that summarises all these things that we've been talking about in terms of work interaction. Uh, You'll also see uh, the 12 people that we interviewed. Uh, We've simply removed their names, um, but what we've talked about is their industry sectors and uh, some of their observations and learnings about work interactions. Uh, We have extended, obviously because of COVID, the experiment. So we're hoping to run the experiment probably realistically through to November because we're waiting, uh, obviously, for people to be able to return to work because if you're going to conduct a work interaction in the field, no matter what method you're going to use, you've got to have people in the field. So we're waiting for that to happen. Um, but we're about to start uh, shortly. And then we're going to analyse the findings. And then we're going to publish the findings for everybody to benefit from uh, by February next year. So I think it's a quite an exciting opportunity for you to partner Uh, For those on the webinar today, and then for those who are watching subsequently, Sarah, it's a great opportunity to partner in something that will benefit uh, wider industry. So so what have we found out from the research? Well, it'll come as no surprise, there are multiple ways, tools or methods by which people are engaging in a work interaction. And you can see there, what we've done is we've actually grouped it uh, into three uh, different um, I suppose, focus points about the tools. And you'll also see in the middle, like any good Venn diagram, there's a degree of overlap. So you can see that there, you know, many of us are involved in behavior and task observations. And basically what that says is that there's a predefined, um, I suppose, set of expectations or requirements. And then what we do, we go out into the workplace, we, we observe that work and we look at how does what we see align with the set performance standard or expectations. And that's one way of conducting a work interaction. Uh, The other way, and often by the way, safety conversations fall into that category uh, because it's often I'm I'm engaging uh, a conversation about what might be deemed as safe uh, versus unsafe work. Uh, A safety conversation is much more focused on really about building the relationship, building the context for a shared understanding about work. And uh, many of you will be familiar with Rosa Carrillo's work and uh, Rosa's work about relation-centered leadership uh, very much is around what I would describe from the research as the safety conversation. And then finally, you'll see in the top right-hand corner, uh, we certainly have a lot to learn from lean practices. And one of those is the the GEMBA or the safety walk-around where we go out and and our primary focus is really about work. We're trying to understand either work through an appreciative inquiry lens, which means, you know, what's working well and what's given rise to that? And um, how can I leverage that? Or it might be from a problem deficit. So it might be from a set of questions about where is work difficult or more difficult than it needs to be? and, And how are you adapting to manage that, and it becomes much more a problem-solving sort of focus. So the research is indicating that there are really three uh, related but different uh, practices when it comes to this new collective noun of work interactions. So one of the clients that we've been uh, partnering with and doing some really interesting research is uh, ProBuild. Uh, They're a a sizable construction company. Uh, uh, publicly listed. Um, They um, do a range of uh, buildings. This is the Ribbon Hotel. For those who are in Sydney, you might remember it was uh, the site of the old IMAX, which was knocked down. And if you look towards the back end of that building, that's where the new IMAX will be. Quite a uh, challenging building because it's being built over a uh, very busy roadway that uh, runs on the different sides of this building and obviously in an iconic spot at Darling Harbour. So what we've done is we've actually gone and done what we've called a work discovery, where we spent two days simply observing work. And if you'd like to know more about this, my colleague, uh, Amanda Clements, uh, who's the General Manager for Health, Safety, Environment, and Quality, uh, has been partnering with this project. And also Amanda is part of the work interaction um, challenge that we're running at the moment. And you can see there, What we did is we actually spent two days basically shadowing people and their work and trying to really discover, uh, first and foremost, what was helping their work. And then secondly, what was hindering. Thirdly, we were trying to understand the gap between the way the work was actually planned uh, and how it was being done in reality. And then fourthly, you know, how were people successfully adapting uh, to those challenges and what happens here is you gain a series of rich stories and out of those stories, it becomes then a process of not only learning and curiosity, but also facilitates a change process. And you can see me there. Obviously, I stand out in the orange shirt, but I'm absolutely fascinated. The person on the, uh, the left here is a, um, a supervisor. Um, I'm reasonably fit. But I think in uh, the couple of hours I spent with this particular really fantastic person, I would have climbed up and down probably, I'm not exaggerating, maybe 40 floors, running up and down as a supervisor moved from work front to work front, um, dealing with different needs within a job. Here, we're actually looking at the plans in the middle pane and uh, really looking at you know what was planned and what was actually being done in reality. The third pane over here, very interesting, you can see these uh, shield screens here. Um, obviously the building is encapsulated because of its location, dropped objects would be highly problematic. And you can see here, uh, really interestingly, um, they've got to remove these screens and these are solid uh, metal screens and creates a number of challenges. So these are just some of the things that we were observing uh, and many things were learnt. My other colleague, Campbell Warren, spent the day, two days with Amanda and myself learning uh, from people uh, doing their work. So what are some of the things that we've learned? And I think it's always helpful to talk about a from and a to. And so if you think about it, there are a couple of things which are really helpful to focus on in terms of um, a more traditional approach to, I suppose, a work interaction is we're really looking at the work of safety. And I'm borrowing uh, from this, from Griffith University, from Drew Ray and David Proven. Um, You'll think about the safety of work and the work of safety. And very much our focus in a more traditional thing is about the work of safety. How does this meet up with what's required? Where a, a more broader view of a work interaction might look at how work is done. And out of that work, how does safety emerge or not? I think it's a much more interesting sort of point of curiosity. The second is a shift in mindset. Um, as, as hard as we try, when we get into an observational model, uh, we tend to compare that against uh, some form of an ideal state. And now please do not mishear me. I think it's actually really helpful, uh, particularly around critical risk and critical controls, to look at how is work being currently conducted, against those set of controls that have been put in place to reduce risk in order to either eliminate or vastly reduce the opportunity for someone to be seriously injured or worse, still killed. But it tends to bring with it its own sense of bias uh, to a judgment or blame. And uh, rather than coming in and actually even looking at those controls through a curiosity lens and a lens that's building trust rather than blame, leads to learning. And and so in other words, what valuable insights can I gain? And what's important can be actioned. So what can I learn here that could lead to actions? Now actions could be improvements or actions could be this is fantastic. Um, So how do we defend this? Uh, How do we even support this to happen more often? The third shift is really an outcome. Um, Often our work interactions are very much a centralised compliance. Someone sets a target, uh, sets the system requirements and says, this is what we need to do. Where I think it's really interesting with our work interactions to shift towards more local governance. So where in the system do we recognise the idea of autonomy and shared responsibility taking? So where do we, in a sense, uh, actually promote uh, both of those things Uh, happening uh, in the workplace. Then action. Uh, What tends to happen in a more traditional work interaction? And we saw this, and these observations, by the way, are not just from research. These are from the 12 people that we spoke to um, and asked for their observations. It tends to be one way. And that is it's reporting back into the system rather than multiple ways of creating these feedback loops of learning, which involves both those doing the work and those who ultimately have accountability uh, in terms of a PCBU duty of care, up through to due diligence. And then finally, thinking about change. If you think about it, the traditional work interaction tends to be a little bit diagnostic. Uh, it's measuring something and it's it puts it into a metric. Useful, uh, I don't want it for one moment. By the way, if you're on either end, it's not a tick at one end and a cross at the other. It's just trying to give you this continuum as you start to think about the effectiveness of the way work interactions are being undertaken uh, in your organisation. Or you can think about it being dialogic in terms of change. So can we tell stories that ultimately then lead to change? So here are a couple of takeaways, and then I'm going to come back and have a look, Sarah, at what we learned from the two survey questions that we asked. And then I'm going to open up the floor through you, Sarah, for the Q&A. So we think about enablers. What, what are the things that enable work interactions that we've found both from the research and talking to the various experts in the field who are practicing? Well, one thing we found very clear is that, first and foremost, the work interaction method, whatever it is, Uh, needs to really foster two things. One is care and a curiosity that actually builds trust. And so if you're going to really gain greater insights, which relate to learning and deemed benefit, not only by the leader, but by those who have participated, then you need to fundamentally have present, forget the method at the moment, you need to have care and curiosity uh, that has its primary Uh, focus on discovery, but also building trust. The second thing that the research indicates is that the primary focus needs to be on gaining the perspective of those who are doing the work. So the work interaction really needs to be about knowing the work experience of what is helping and hindering through the lens of those who are doing the work. Or another way of describing this is those who are the frontline experts, those who actually are doing the work. The the third thing is that if you're going to drive learning improvement outcomes, then you need to really embrace the idea of shared responsibility taking. So, yes, it's not just going back into a system as a hazard report for someone within an HSC team or an operational manager or a supervisor to eventually fix. There needs to be a shared responsibility taking in the outcome from whatever work interaction you're using. There needs to be some degree of local governance autonomy and ownership. And it needs to actually foster the sharing of stories, because stories become, as it were, the medium uh, for sharing learning. And then the last thing, we just really need to rethink how we uh, sort of define and track performance expectations, because these things that we're talking about are fundamentally much more challenging uh, to measure. So, if you want to grow and support this curiosity, if we've said that is key to work interactions, what do we need to do? What do we need to focus on? And uh, there are ten uh, hints uh, for you to have a look at. And I'm really happy, Sarah, for this presentation. You know, obviously, on the video to be shared. So, you know, hiring for curiosity. So, think about: Wouldn't it be really interesting to actually screen people? as part of the uh, recruitment process to find out uh, what type of curiosity they bring. Uh, The next thing is about how do you then model uh, yourself uh, curiosity? Uh, How do you do that? Uh, Then maybe, you know, permissioning people to ask questions. And and if I model uh, being curious or inquisitive, I actually permission people to ask questions. And uh, adopting a mindset that, you know what, those... um, (laughs) who might appear to be slumbering, uh, actually have a powerful uh, capacity to help us understand the work. So the only way I'm going to actually understand that is by being curious. Um, Obviously, it's about acknowledging I know uh, less than those who are doing the job. And I think this is a very powerful thing for supporting curiosity. The other thing is in your work interactions, if you constantly reinforce that the primary reason we're doing this, yes, compliance is important. Checking things is important. But the primary objective is that of a learning. And, and we're trying to gain learning and broaden what we understand. I think it's important to encourage people to schedule reg, regular blocks of time and that not be just driven by some sort of a metric. And this idea of hosts, you know, um, hosting a conversation and taking a a posture of humility, recognizing there are multiple ways. So with that in mind, um, there are two things that you might be really interested in. We would really welcome you warmly to join the Work Interaction Challenge, which as you can see now is going to go through to the end of the year. And the only reason for that is, is because of COVID. So if you'd like to be part of that, please just scan the QR code, and it will take you to the sign-up page. Sign up or or send me a message via the sign-up page, and I'd love to have a conversation with you. Um, If you'd like to have a look at the paper on work interaction research, it was prepared for the recent HSC uh, Australian Congress. Uh, It was prepared by Amanda Clements, uh, Campbell Warren, and myself. Uh, Please feel free uh, to grab a copy of that paper, and it really unpacks Uh, The research that I've been referring to, not the curiosity piece, but the research into work interactions. So, what I'm going to do is just stop sharing for a moment uh, and I'm going to refresh my screen. And uh, what I'll do, uh, Sarah, I'm just going to share the results of the survey and then I'm going to hand over uh, to people to ask some questions. So, as people are getting ready for the questions, I think, Sam, you've put the The slides in, yes, he has. I'm just going to share that, Sarah. So everyone can see what they said, and then I'll hand over to you to uh, facilitate our Q and A. So let me just share this again quickly with you, and let's have a look at what you said. Uh, So you told us a couple of things about curiosity, and you can see there. Uh, Isn't it interesting? Uh, Unprompted, you said, you know, the most important thing is about openness. Understanding, seeking things, and questioning and learning uh, as your definition uh, of curiosity. Uh, We also then asked you about the survey results. Um, And what's fascinating, and have a look here, about half of us are involved in organizations that have got less than 50 people. But look at this the other half uh, are are doing uh, a considerable number of um, actual. Uh, work interactions, whichever method you're using. Uh, If we have a look at how much time, uh, it's fascinating. On a monthly basis, um, half of you about an hour, but the rest are not. So I reckon if I did the maths, and I won't ask you at the moment, Sam, you might want to do the maths on the back end, (laughs) but from the spreadsheet that you'll have in front of you, Sam. But my hunch is we're talking just here in this small group, literally, uh, thousands of hours uh, every month is going into this activity. And then lastly, uh, are you receiving a significant uh, real return on investment? And you can see here that we only get a strongly agree of 4.2%. Uh, you know, it's interesting, this is encouraging, uh, about 60 odd percent, a bit over, are saying we're getting, uh, we're getting some return on investment. And you can see here, that the other roughly 40% saying, no, it's not giving us a return on investment. So this investment is not delivering. So with that in mind, Sarah, I'm going to hand over to you and uh, I'll stop sharing and uh, see uh, what questions we've got for us. Okay, great.
2: Thanks. We um, don't have any questions, but I want to invite everyone to flood this uh, question panel because we have got um, eight minutes to go. So um, while you do... While I wait for those questions, I'll just share the um, next link to the next webinar in here. And that's actually on Tuesday because um, we had to fit it in because it's to do with COVID and mental health. So it's being presented by Harmer's Lawyers. Um, so, uh, and the other thing is, I, 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 I assume, Mark, I'm going to get hold of all those links you've been talking about. Yes. To send in the email later today. I think um, Sam Yes, I'll
0: get I'll get Sam to organize that for you. It'd be great to share that uh, with people. And uh, you can be part of an experiment um, that is really about trying to facilitate shared learning in this working interaction space, because I'd suggest that we've got more than you know, nearly 40% saying we're not getting the benefit out of a return to investment. We can learn together, I think, Sarah. And when you start looking at those maths. Um, I I would say there's probably a very large number of hours that are currently going into uh, this exercise of work interactions. So I'll hand over to you, Sarah, where there's any questions. um, Welcome that to hear from people, any questions you've got about what's been said. You can also, by all means, please share an observation of what might be working well uh, in the work interaction space in your world. Or you might want to share uh, an area where there's a clear opportunity for improvement. So we do have a question from Charles. He
2: says, have you got any advice on how to ask questions to, quote, be curious without causing people to be defensive?
0: Yeah, that is that is a really good question, Charles. I think the first thing is, is really focusing on being curious about people's work. And understanding what it is that people are actually seeking to do today, not just the work you can see, but the objective. What are they trying to achieve? Um, The second question I think is really helpful is to explore with them what's actually helping your work today. What's what's actually helping this go right? And I think the second question is really about is there anything here that's making work more difficult or hindering the work? And I find, Sarah and Charles, after you've asked about those three questions, um, that's about it. (laughs) Uh, You're there for the next half hour. Now, why is that the case? Well, it's fundamentally because you've shown a curiosity in what's really important to people. So that's the first thing. Second bit of advice is make sure as much as possible, and we all know this, but we often stray away from it, is to work on asking open-ended questions. So making sure that the questions that you ask and you're exploring about the work um, can't be asked answered, sorry, with a yes or no. And then finally, really try to park your uh, expertise, not because it's not valued, but you're trying to see work through their eyes. And I think if you ask those three things, you will find um, a rich conversation that will do two things. Out of your curiosity, it will deliver much greater learning. And secondly, people will walk away saying there is mutual benefit from this conversation.
2: Okay, we don't have any other questions at the moment, so we'll give it a I just saw a question
0: there from Ian.
2: Oh, okay, Uh, maybe in the chat.
0: Yes, I just saw a question in the the chat there.
2: Yep, Um, he says, um, hi, Mark, very interesting approach. How do you weigh up ensuring we are doing what we are doing meets the requirements of the law against being curious?
0: Yeah, that's, it's, I think that's a really interesting question, And If you think about the law, and we go back to the Act and the regulation, I mean, the overarching thing is it's really a, uh, the law is really a codification of risk management. And if you think about it, what we're trying to understand is really at the end of the day what's being done to reasonably, you know, from a practical point of view, diminish risk. So by being curious, you actually increase your likelihood of understanding uh, what's happening in that space. Um, the second thing is by being curious, you will discover a whole lot of things that then you can you can later on, I think, Ian, uh, go back to the office and go, I learned all these things. Now, how does that line up with the, um, the obligations we have as a PCBU in doing this work? And uh, you, you can then make a, a, a judgment because your expertise is really important about where there is significant uh, performance Um, uh, achievement and where there are limitations. And I think the other thing is when you see that gap, it's become curious about how do people manage that gap? So there's a gap between what the the system describes, because you think about our management system, our system is really a description of the legislation, is to really become very curious, well, what do you do to manage that gap? And I think in the end, that is a a very important part of any aspect of due diligence, because you think about it, what are the first three elements of due diligence to know, to understand and obviously to monitor. And so by being curious, you certainly meet those first three attributes of due diligence. So I hope that helps Ian. Okay,
2: Uh, yep, I think uh, we've only got a couple of minutes to go. So anybody wants a last chance to ask a question? And um, as I said earlier, we'll send out an email later today. Please just remember to check your spam for emails because they do slip in there sometimes. So um, I think that's it. Thanks, Mark.
0: Well, thank you, Sarah. look, thank you for um, everyone making the time to join the webinar conversation. Um, You're always welcome to drop by the academy and see what's happening. And uh, can I just encourage you to um, please join us in this uh, experiment? Um, There is just a, a real earnest desire to learn about work interactions and how we can improve it. So this is not about replacing. This is about enhancing and we need as many people across Australia, and we're also working with people overseas to join this experiment to see what we can learn. So please stay tuned. We will be publishing the results so we can all uh, improve our work interactions wherever we are, whether in a small or a large organisation. And then finally, if you'd like a copy of the paper that talks about the research, I think you'll find it a very interesting read um, on what the research is currently telling us and what some leading thinkers and practitioners uh, reflecting at the moment and I hope that helps and please feel free to also drop by and share your stories of success we love to hear those and uh, we can learn as well from you this is never a, even though it appears because it's a webinar this is never a one-way conversation and uh, again thank you Sarah and Maiosh, for um, uh, thinking to invite us to be part of the conversation today it's always appreciated there is one more question Ah, a late entry, late entry, let them in. What's their question? I'll answer Uh, it in one minute.
2: Michael says, do you think we need curiosity about WHS systems as well as work?
0: Michael, a person after my own heart, um, I think one of the things, it's a great question to go out and ask, what are the things that really in our system you use all the time and help you do your work successfully? Particularly to come to the first thought, that if we come much more interested work is done, we'll see that safety emerges from that, I think, Sarah. And then the second thing is what in the system at the moment do you rarely use or it is so difficult to use, you choose not to use it or it adds no value? Or in your mind, it is meaningless and it could be either deleted or improved. And I just going kind of just encourage you, if you go out and ask that question, Michael, make sure you at least have a decent cup of coffee because I think you'll be there for some time. But I think when we ask that we learn a lot about our system, uh, as well as back to Ian's point, we learn a lot about the law in terms of our compliance. And I hope you understand today that I'm not suggesting for one moment that curiosity replaces compliance, it actually informs it.
2: Hey, well that's a wrap well we'll just say with the chat and the feedback um mark i think everyone really really enjoyed this so there's a lot of um, comments about um, for that
0: feedback so
2: thank you everyone hope you have a great rest of your week and uh, thanks mark thanks for art of work too okay
0: thank you bye, bye. for now bye,
2: bye.